Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Boston Sanctuary since 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the Boston metropolitan area and beyond. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. We're located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets in downtown Boston, Massachusetts. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. Less than three weeks ago today, our nation marked a momentous anniversary, a huge bicentennial anniversary. Yet there were no huge new automobile sales events, no presidential or political candidate declarations. The malls didn't open early or close late in order that we might celebrate this bicentennial with a retail extravaganza. And to my knowledge, not even any of our popular or more infamous religious leaders made mention of it. Do any of us here gathered this morning know what this anniversary was? Does anyone have a guess or a speculation? Well, pardon me? No, that's not it. Um, And I have to admit that I was not aware of this anniversary at the time it occurred. Only in preparing for this sermon did I learn of it and perhaps begin to understand our country's most fundamental and shameful need to ignore it. January 1st, 2008, was the 200th anniversary of the United States Congress prohibition on the importation of slaves into our country. Last year, 2007, marked the bicentennial of Great Britain's prohibition of the slave trade. There it was marked by numerous museum exhibits, scholarly and historical conferences, and the making of the very popular high-budget film Amazing Grace. That film dramatized and commemorated slave trader William Wilberforce's conversion from slave merchant to ardent abolitionist, and the genesis of that familiar hymn of the same name. Now, there are myriad reasons why our nation would not or could not mark this momentous day in the history of freedom and liberty. Or was it a disingenuous and hollow date in our national ignominy of racialized slavery and institutionalized, commercialized, and legally enshrined oppression? I don't know which. But this question is not the purpose or the subject 
of this sermon or our coming together this morning, the Sunday of our national holiday that memorializes and commemorates the American hero, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Certainly our unique and horrific history of racialized slavery and systematized racism forms the backdrop, stage, and plot on which the story of this man was written and lived. But it is not the story of this man. Rather, it is the story of what he survived and what he overcame and what he was most effective at beginning to dismantle and reverse. It is this work, this avocation, this spiritual directive to undo violence with peace, to eviscerate hatred with love, and to displace oppression with prayerful compassion that makes him such a hero, such a singular spiritual force, and a person of incomparable vision and hope whose message is as relevant and transformative today as it was 50 years ago. We, each and every one of us in North America, owe the undeserved bounty of our lives and our existences not to mention the very survival of our nation, culture, and society to this man of oh-so-humble origins. He was a man who had the courage, principle, and conviction to bring about the peaceful end of one of humanity's most savage and cruel systems of exploitation and oppression. That was American race-based slavery that for centuries and centuries systematically sought the subjugation and at times the downright destruction of African peoples and their homelands. Far lesser human injustices have brought about far greater carnage the Bible and human history itself are prime evidence of that. How could a system of such savage inhumanity produce such a remarkable man of strength, courage, and fortitude? One who would usher in the end times of one of man's cruelest and most systematic inhumanities to fellow man a system that persisted in one form or another for almost 500 years. And how could he do it? By peaceful and prayerful means. This is certainly not to negate his own ultimate and knowing premature sacrifice for the cause that animated his existence and ministry, a ministry and mission that brought profound transformation 
to every aspect of life in the United States. Like his own savior, Reverend King's love and profound faith led him to willingly make the ultimate personal sacrifice in order to save a larger humanity. This social transformation set in final motion by a single man has been so major that most of us privileged white folks, you know, the ones who run the government and big businesses and our communities, folks much like a lot of you and, and like me, have almost no way to fathom the hatred, oppression, and exploitation that created that theretofore unbreakable grasp. What we call today systemic racism. At the time Dr. King began his ministry and mission, every single point of interaction between white folks and African Americans was either legally, traditionally, or culturally designed to reinforce the message to the African American that she was in an inferior being to a white person and therefore was inevitably required to always live under the thumb and the thumbnails of white oppression. These days, people often comment that things could never have been all that bad just 40 or 50 years ago. But they are never African Americans or white folks who know better. I have to tell you that even after years of higher education and law school, and a civil litigation practice that involved more than just a few civil rights cases. I did not learn about the true stranglehold and deadly consequences of American racism until I entered seminary and studied the hideousness and the violence of this system we had devised to oppress and exploit an entire people. Many call it genocide, which is certainly the effect on any African who fell into the hands, into the nets of the slave traders or their murderous kidnappers. Name, identity, religion, family, social status, all completely destroyed in the flash of a moment as one's individuality, identity, and independence were gone. And in their place were beatings, family members who disappeared without notice, the humiliation of public sale, Customs and practices that were designed to make them resemble cattle. 
just another piece of someone else's property. They were intentionally and systematically stripped of every shred of human dignity. One thing is certain. This system of racialization that we spent hundreds of years creating, refining, and enforcing was not going to disappear easily or soon, even with all of its flaws, injustice, and ungodliness. And in terms of morality, fairness, and justice, there was also no disagreement about the powerful negative influences that such thought patterns can and did produce, both on the oppressed and on the oppressor. African Americans internalized, began to believe themselves that they were merely what was reflected back to them by white society, their oppressors. And we, white folks, began to believe that the, we might actually somehow be superior to these other children of God. So, after a couple of generations, many African Americans believed that they were inferior to the light-skinned children of creation. And we light-skinned folks began to believe our own nonsense about being somehow superior to the dark-skinned children of creation. These lies became entrenched in the very story of the United States, its founding, growth, ethos, and prominence, even today. These lies held secure that system of theft, dehumanization, savagery, and hate, so much so that this system remained in place in one form or another and unassailable for almost 500 years. It held fast with such strength that even today, whole continents and peoples are condemned to poverty, warfare, and famine because of this North American historical, economic, and cultural phenomenon. Even the United States Civil War, at its time the most destructive war ever witnessed on Earth, with between 610 to 700,000 Americans killed at each other's hands was not a force sufficient enough to break this nation free from the grasp of racialized slavery and racialized superiority. Systemic racism and racial hatred continued to hold sway for another 100 years. And even in Dr. King's own time, African Americans, especially in the East and in the South, were in worse economic and social conditions and had more perilous futures than their forebearers had at the time of the Emancipation Proclamation. That 100 years between the freeing of the slaves by proclamation 
and the first real legal efforts by our government to acknowledge and protect African Americans' most basic human rights is perhaps the darkest time of those 500 years. Our government and society and mainline religious institutions chose to ignore the scientific, political, and spiritual dictates of their time in order to uphold a corrupt, inhumane, and grossly sinful system of hatred, exploitation, and oppression. So what force could ever be big enough and powerful enough to take on this monstrosity? How could that monstrosity be subdued without destroying the very heads, hearts, souls, and the nation in which it found its residence? Well, since you are all here this morning, you all know already that only something larger than ourselves and our individual human capacities could begin to undo this twisted web of evil that man had created. To put it in traditional religious terms, at this time of God's children once again letting our potential down in the biggest possible way, God, or goodness, or grace, or providence, saw fit not to punish, or destroy, or condemn us to live in the conditions and with the consequences we had so heartlessly created for ourselves and for others. In that traditional religious lexicon again, for God so loved humanity that grace brought to us a man of faith and peace and prayer who set about quietly and determinedly with profound human dignity to begin to undo one of the most violent, savage, and inhumane systems in the history of humankind. The man who would usher in this staggering social, political, and spiritual transformation knew from the start, right from the start, that he would never use a weapon to physically harm another human being. This was so even with the most just and pressing cause that he had and that he was advocating on his behalf. The man who set in final motion the transformation of a continent, the largest and richest economic machine ever, a nation and its government, its many peoples and churches, temples and mosques, cities and farms, and yes, even its black and whites, that man of humble origins and deep faith, with human dignity and divine grace, peacefully changed the course of history by addressing injustice with justice, 
until each injustice was balanced with justice. Where hatred was met with love until despair was overshadowed by hope. Reverend Martin Luther King counseled prayers for the oppressors until their hearts and souls would be turned to recognize and acknowledge that the ultimate act of faith was to love one's oppressor into the spiritual growth that would allow that oppressor to see the error, harm, and grievous sinfulness of the oppressor's way. Again, I must say, far lesser injustices in human history have left far greater carnage in their wakes. It is Dr. King who is so clearly a divine example of amazing grace in our times that even in the face of some, humanity, some of humanity's most horrific betrayals of love and decency and basic ethics, he made it so that we were not met with destruction, violence, and retribution, but instead with even more love, more compassion, and more hope. We were spared what many might have called our just desserts for our failures. Reverend King knew that the hour of our deliverance was at hand. Even though millions of powerful white folks and millions of downtrodden African Americans did not or could not see it that way, Reverend King showed us one injustice at a time, what it would take to turn the long arc of human history towards justice. In the words of Reverend David Bumbaugh, he showed us, no matter how difficult the situation, how intense the hatred he confronted, how subtle the powers rang against him, he seemed always to convey a fundamental faith in the humanity of others, a stubborn faith that no one could be forever beyond the reach of love. He strengthened us in our determination, and by his very presence, he guarded us against the temptation to hate and despise those who blocked our dreams and derided our hopes. He put into practice and lived and embodied and transformed by and with the values that we as Unitarian Universalists today so proudly and dearly hold and proclaim. My fellow Unitarian Universalist seekers and sharers, 
We have been blessed and enriched by the ministry and the mission and the work of this Baptist minister. He was that and a civil rights leader and a powerful patriot and a freedom fighter. He proved in compelling and undeniable ways the power of love over hate. And even with his own tragic and violent death, he still embodied the power and the persuasion of the non-violent way, even in the face of violence and hopelessness. While the power establishment sought to exclude him, he made us all learn and all know that we are caught up in a network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny, that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. My friends, he is not just an African-American hero. He is an American hero. And we are blessed that this is so. Amen.